see some movement at the takeoff zone. It's Kelly Slater grabbing rail. A clean entry. This thing holding open. It spits. When it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit. Spits him out. Comes out after the spit. Gets spat out of another good-looking wave here. Spit, spit, spit. We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, I got it's the ghost of Scott Bass, and he's in Nantucket or Martha's Vineyard. <laughs> what do you think about this? Should we do this? Yeah, the background looks cool. Your um, it's kinda, face is ghosted out. Can you see me at all, or should we just? I mean, yeah, get... I can see it. You're high. It's kind of amazing, actually. Yeah, leave it. Yeah, guy. Yeah, guy. Welcome, everybody. It is Spit, the Spit Podcast. David Lee Scales, Scott Bass, talking surf with you on Wednesday, January 21, 2021. Wow. David, welcome. Inauguration day. Right. Day of inauguration. And I notice you have a new location for the day, a special location. Are you on vacation or something? Um, you know, I decided to move to my library. I see. Yeah. I've noticed that all the smart people have books in the background on their Zoom calls. I can smell the leather bindings from here. Yes, exactly. My wife's preparing cucumber sandwiches. There'll be iced tea coming shortly. Fancy lad. Yes. Um, <laughs> well, how are you? I'm well. We've got quite a lot to talk about, man. Um, Unbelievable my, week in surfing. Yeah, mind mind blowing waves in Hawaii with um, all time conditions. I'm sure you watched some of this, uh, some of the action. I watched it all. Yeah, it's. I mean, you couldn't avoid it. It kind of consumed everybody. I think for the few days over the weekend. Yeah. Uh, before we get into that, can I read you feedback from last week's show? Sure. Hey, Scott and David. Just my opinion regarding the wave storm issue. You talked about a guy paddling outside, you passed everyone and taking off on a wave and thus, in my opinion, burning everyone by not waiting his turn. I feel like you were actually correct to take off on that wave, Scott. That dude showed a distinct lack of respect and a certain level of arrogance. You asked, I mean, in your kind of apology of the situation, you asked, who am I to mandate rules and regulations? but these rules were written by generations of surfers before us and for a reason. You shouldn't have said sorry to him, but you should have calmly told him why you took off on that wave, thus educating him on the most basic rule in surfing. It's no different than walking straight to the front of a line uh, at a store. I've been surfing for 30 years, and when my elders taught me the etiquette of surfing, dropping in and paddling past everyone were at the top of the list of absolute do-nots, and for good reason. Let's keep surfing a respectful and self-regulated activity. It's a beautiful way to spend our lives, and rude and arrogant behavior has no place in the ocean. Love your works, keep it up, and don't forget your roots. Jeff from the Sunshine Coast. Well, Jeff brings up some great points. Um, let me just say first that I agree, rude and disrespectful behavior has no place in the lineup. However, if I was to go up to this guy and suggest what was just written or read out loud, I would be a hypocrite because I have been that guy. Mm. And second, um, I agree, somebody needs to say something but I don't want to be the guy that says something. I, mm. I don't, 
I, I, I think that if we were both in the parking lot and we could kind of approach each other with, um, you know, some reasonable um, discourse, that would be great. Like but when you when you paddle up to a guy in the lineup with thirty other guys around and start suggesting rules, even even if they're completely valid and cogent and they're correct and they're right and they need to be enforced, it's just not a good place. It puts the guy you make the guy look like shit in front of everybody, so he's immediately going to go f you. And so it's just you know there is a time and a place I think for education. I'm not sure that um, I want to be a teacher at this point. Um, maybe when I was 30, but not now. You mentioned um, the first part, you would be a hypocrite. Yeah. I struggle with that. I think obviously we're all hypocrites in various ways in our life, kind of throughout our life. But is that the same thing? If you learn new information and then you start living accordingly based on the new information, does that make you a hypocrite or does that make you a critical thinker who can adjust your life's course because you now have new data? Well, I just think that it would be easy for somebody to point the finger back at me and go, dude, you kidding me? Yeah. You know? And, and he would be, you know, like there might be some uh, truth to what he's saying, you know? Um, I, do, I do know what you mean, but don't you, kind of understand what I mean as well is that yeah, you should always be improving and yeah maybe you did something last week that now you do differently but that's okay I, I think like hypocrite obviously has negative connotation but um not all things that some things are just improved upon not all things are hypocritical when a when a behavior is adjusted and look there's been plenty of surf rolling through but let's be realistic there's 35 or 40 guys and there's maybe three three waves in a set mm -hmm. um, at some point more than one guy is going to go on a wave i'm not saying that's right i will however tell you that i often tell people in the water you know what just go on me i'll surf around you i'm good enough to deal with it mm -hmm. just just go fast you know yeah but anyway can you try leaning in towards your computer a little bit more your face has kind of disappeared into the background yeah that doesn't help yeah, should I just your get rid of this? Your face thing? has disappeared completely. I can only really? see your hat right now. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna send you a photo so that you <laughs> I can see it. I just I just Oh you can, okay. Yeah, I'm like uh oh, that's weird. Totally this like thing, a ghost. This thing's not working. Should I try a different background? If it doesn't interrupt the Yeah, recording. it won't interrupt. It's not gonna interrupt anything. Okay, yeah. Switch. We're we're riffing, bros. This is uh Oh, <laughs> You're still disappeared. Yeah. <laughs> it's something, I don't know if the hat is what's doing it, but you're the background. Nope. Now you're completely gone. The hat was the only savior for some reason. <laughs> there, there must be not enough light differentiation. There you go. Okay. Um, okay. Second um, email feedback. Yeah. From our buddy, Dave in Marubra. Um, Mount. He said, your discussion of Pete Mel's wave on the podcast got me thinking about whether that wave would make it into a fictional Mount Rushmore podium of waves ridden. If there was such a podium, then these needs, uh, then these waves would not only need to be accounted for the beauty of themselves, but famous waves that changed us, inspired us, or moved us forward collectively. Here's a list of the top three contenders of the greatest waves ever ridden. 
Greg Knoll at Makaha in 1969. One of the most celebrated American waves that ever that inspired generations of big wave surfers. The mythical quality of the wave is only enhanced by it not being filmed. This one is surely a lock. Simon Anderson at Bells in 1981. At Huge Bells, this was the introduction of the thruster to the surfing world. 50 years later, three fins still rule. Tom Kern at J-Bay in 1992. Until then, Kern had boycotted South African events in opposition to apartheid, but then the political curtain lifted. He flew into town and served his first wave ever at Perfect J-Bay, a notoriously difficult and technical wave. He surfed it flawlessly in classic Kern style. Welcome back to the world, South Africa. There's many others that you might, uh, might take the podium. Maybe Tom Carroll's 1991 snap in the pocket at Pipe, Laird Hamilton's Millennium Wave at Chopu and Jim Banks' barrel at Uluwatu in 1977 inspired generations of young Australian surfers to buy a ticket for Indo. And then, of course, there's Pete Mel's Life Changer. All the best, Dave from Arubra. Yeah, this is a great email, and I wanted to kind of break it down, if you don't mind. Um, Let's do it. A little bit. So, first of all, I agree with all three of those that he brought up. Greg, Mull, Greg Noll, Simon Anderson, and Bells, Tom Kern, and Jay Bay. The Greg Noll one is interesting because it's well anyway some are some wonder if it was as big and as you know but it was a meaningful it's a it, it just lives in lore it needs to be on there because it's it's just a powerful everyone knows about it it's yeah. been in movies so what are so i agree with the snap tom carroll's 1991 snap in the pocket at pipeline i agree that could be a cut a contender I agree. Laird Hamilton's Millennium Wave at Chopu is probably on is probably on the top five. We only have do we have four or do we get five? Um, well, I mean, we're really making the rules, so we can kind of decide. Well, if it's Mount Rushmore, we only get four. Yeah, I mean, what about Laird? The fact that Laird was towed into that wave. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, that's that's something to be considered. I just feel like. It was such a mind-blowing event throughout the culture, throughout the right. media, throughout all of our lives. It was just like, wow. It was totally. just, it was mind-blowing. And it was also at the beginnings of the internet. So it, it was the first wave to like instantly reach everybody. Right. You know what I mean? Um, I would also throw in a couple just off the top of my head. I would throw in Derek Ho's incredible barrel at Pipeline where he got a 10. I think... I want to say it was 92. Um, that wave was insane. I don't know if you have any that are sticking out to you right now that are just like mind blowing. Um, yeah. Not I mean, there are so many waves. That's the thing. Yeah. Choose from that. You need to almost like the Greg Knoll one makes sense because it, 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 first of all, there's a lot of lore and history and um, almost mythology behind it. Right. Um, Simon Anderson's was truly incredible because of the performance breakthrough that the thruster opened up. Um, Tom Kearns is just incredible because one, it was his first wave. Two, it's just the, perhaps the most beautifully ridden wave in the history of surfing. And three, it's, it's on a four fin. Um, and four is Tom Curran. <laughs> you got to have one of Tom Curran on there. <laughs> it's um, it's a difficult list to compile because the medium has changed for how we share this stuff so much. So from not being filmed all the way through to being 
posted instantaneously. Um, and I feel like the things that weren't filmed or the ones that existed uh, back on proper film that you had to go to a movie theater to see, those were just cemented into people's mind. Yeah. And, and then of course the lore builds from there. Whereas even if today something is bigger, gnarlier, more technically written, or takes more technical savvy to ride, it comes and goes so quick. You know, like Pete Mel's wave is already in our distant memory because of what happened in Hawaii in the I know. transpired, which is kind of a shame because if that had been a cover shot for a magazine, again, it would have been cemented into surfing's legacy history, you know? And I, I, I still think it's cemented in our legacy. I actually watched it on the big screen last night with my wife. You get your wife together in front of the TV. Yeah, yeah. Pete Mel's wife. Yeah, I was like, you gotta watch it. <laughs> That's hilarious. You know what she said? She goes, what's the big deal? Like no she way. was, well, only because she's not a surfer, but also because we had just watched, we also watched like 20 minutes of Epic Jaws, like this really good edit of Jaws from the other day with all the guys towing, you know, Kai and Ian Walsh and all those guys. And yeah. then we went, and then we went to Peter Mel's paddle and wave at Mavericks. And she's like, okay. So <laughs> it was kind of, this story is amazing. Yeah. This story is amazing because not only did you get her to sit through watching Pete Mel's wave, she watched 20 minutes of Jaws leading up to Pete's Mel, Pete Mel's wave. She is a true. No, she enjoyed it. Believe me, she would walk away if she wasn't into it. She, we were like, let's, let's, I want you to see this. You know, that's, that's pretty mind blowing. Yeah. Good job. So this is um, Dave's email and his list is fabulous. And I'd like to hear from, of course, David, and I would love to hear from you guys about which waves you think should make this list. I kind of feel like four is not enough. I, I think we're going to get some, we're going to get some, some entries from some people that are just like, and so these have to really transcend um, Instagram. They just can't be the latest, greatest wave. They have, there has to be something behind them, such as performance breaking, like Simon, um, like Tom Carroll snap. Um, they have to be maybe mytho mythological, like Greg Knoll's wave. Yeah. Um, so really anyway, consider that when you can, when you send in entries. I feel like um, you're right. Four isn't enough because it's so, there's so many different iconic waves in the world that almost need representation. You know, like Pipeline needs a wave, Jaws needs a wave, certainly J Bay needs a wave. Can we think of one at Cloud Break that stands out above everything else? My brain starts feeling like- Well, how about this one here? How about, I know if you start just thinking of all the waves in the world, then you're screwed. I know, totally. You know, but because like I, I was thinking um, Nambia, Na Namibia. How yeah, do you totally. say it? Totally, Namibia. Yeah, Namibia. That way, you know, the, like, so it's kind of like Koa Smith's ride there where he's, where the it's the POV of being in the tube. That one's probably on the list, totally. right? Yeah, totally. And so we do need categories or like there needs to be like, mythology perform like we almost need to put buckets out there and put each wave into the bucket you know like travel breakthrough i don't know it, it might be it became an oak yeah. tree instead of mount rushmore yeah exactly. there's branches there's roots yeah awesome yeah. well let's get into into the big story of the show um the big story is the big swell right um i mean i'll just let me just start and then i'll let you take the um i think you're going to take it with the jet ski situation, but um, Jaws 
that was on Saturday, right? Was it Saturday? Yeah. So Saturday, a massive, what they're calling the Omega swell hit Hawaii Saturday morning. Uh, Waimea Bay was closing out and outer reefs all over Hawaii, the Hawaiian islands were lighting up. And later in the day, wind picked up and the, all the guys were towing in at Jaws. And it was an incredible session, which is what I watched yesterday with my wife. <clears throat> a great edit. Kai Lenny, Ian Walsh, Taylor Loran, Sean Walsh, a 12-year-old Steve Roberson. Um, and my Duke Kahanamoku of the week, Justin, Justine DuPont, uh, all of these and many, many more got incredible, mind-blowing, earth-shattering, you know, an overload of incredible rides. Um, and that's just a Jaws just on this Saturday. And there was a lot of drama all over Hawaii. Um, but I do want to point out Justine DuPont, her tube ride. I'm sure you saw it, David. But that was a breakthrough moment in women's surfing, in my opinion. Um, what? I can't, I can't think of a breakthrough moment. moment in women's surfing because in my, maybe I'm wrong, but it seems like it was the deepest, meanest, fully committed, same line that a guy would have taken. Um, incredible behind the, behind the, you know, backdoor tube ride at mean jaws. And she came out and I just feel like, I don't think a woman's gotten a deeper barrel of jaws than that on, I don't know, you fill me in. Am I missing something? I think it was just the, I, that's I, why, that's I why. Think, and I feel like you're going to, you're setting me up for, Oh, you're wrong. What about this? <laughs> that's I not know. what I'm setting you up for. You actually, you snuck it in there. Why I think it is the kind of breakthrough moment is that it's amazing agnostic of gender. Like right, right, that right, is exactly. the wave of the day. And it happens to be that a female surfed it. You know what I mean? Like we're at, we're at the point now, and this is the fact that it takes place at Jaws is kind of insane because I haven't said that comment at Huntington when it's the women versus the men in the U S open that the best performance happened to be by a female surfer. We haven't said that at J Bay. We haven't said that at pipeline. We're saying it at Jaws of all places that the wave of the day, the deepest barrel, the gnarliest kind of most critically surfed wave of the day was Justine DuPont's wave. It's freaking gnarly, you know? So I think that is really where the ceiling is fully shattered. And um, yeah, congrats. I couldn't agree with you more about Justine being the Duke. Um, yeah. It's un unbelievable. And yeah, I don't know, did you see the GoPro? I don't know if it was the exact same wave, but she has a GoPro angle of getting barreled out there too that really is impressive. And the GoPro angle looking where it's on the nose of the board, looking back at the surfer is never actually, um, it kind of shrinks the size of the wave and it's not the most dynamic angle. But one thing that it does do is show how much water is kind of falling over her or pitching over her. And it's just a pure, I mean, it's an avalanche, you know, like uh, just, I don't even know how you would quantify the units of measure, but just a tremendous amount of water that is being thrown over and you get a real uh, different level of appreciation for it from seeing that. So. Yeah, perhaps um, you know, number of swimming pools that yeah, are, exactly. thrown, you know, like we measure it in swimming pools, I think. And uh, yeah, just incredible. So 
our hats are off to Justine DuPont. And sadly, I hope, I feel like this is one of those situations that's just going to get washed over and forgotten about. And it'll be our job, David, to make sure that it doesn't lose its place in as a momentous moment for surfing. You absolutely nailed it. And I was struggling trying to figure it out why I thought it was so powerful, but it transcended gender. Yeah. It did not matter. You know, now I will say, look, there was a couple of other tubes out there, Kai, Lenny. Um, so whether it was the best tube of the day, it was certainly in the top and it, it's worthy of a discussion. I think it could be. And again, it didn't matter uh, the gender of the surfer. What we saw was just incredible. But also on some level, you do need to say, hey, this is a breakthrough. This was a glass ceiling moment at, at Jaws for Women. It, it's gender does matter. Like it is definitely um, part of the dialogue. However, it wasn't as if we were categorizing the best wave of the women versus the best wave of the men. You know what right. I mean? It's like exactly. an open, it was an open division, let's say. And exactly. she happened to win it. Um, yeah. So uh, what else I like about it is that remember a month or two ago, there was the kerfuffle about her getting slighted for the big wave uh, entry, biggest wave of 2020 or whatever. Maya Gabieri won. She edged Justine out. And I thought Justine's wave was bigger. Maya also got the Guinness world record for it. And Justine actually complained about that. And there was a number of people that stood by Justine's side complaining that the system is so subjective. And even the, the judging criteria's rules themselves are written with subjective adjectives. And so Justine was saying, you know, if it is this close and people's careers are on the line, we need to figure out how to more accurately deem a winner um, or not careers are on the line, but like certainly sponsorship dollars. And then the Guinness book comes calling and there's dollars associated with that. So Justine was act asking for a little bit more clarification. And so I love that on the heels of that, she keeps her head down, she keeps working and she shows up for the gnarliest swell ever and then gets the gnarliest wave of the day. So shout out for sure to Justine DuPont. And she showed up at Mavericks. I mean, there's footage right. of her a couple of days pr prior at Mavericks on the big day. So she's out there, she's doing the deal. And um, yeah, big shout out, good for her. Um, in addition uh, to her on that day, I would hope that the listeners take a very critical look at what Ian Walsh was doing on those wave faces. While it was kind of gnarly, I don't know Jaws that well, but it seemed like there wasn't very much west in it. It seemed real north. Or it was just so big that it bypassed the West Bowl. And so guys were kind of out in front racing the wave and kind of on the shoulder. And it was kind of the wave was kind of eating itself and catching up with itself and pushing the tube out. Yeah. And um, the turns that Ian Walsh was doing on some of the wave faces at out on the beginnings of the wave outside where there was some open wave face to do turns. Ian Walsh was doing some critical stylish top turns, the kind of thing you would see on an open, you know, big open, like say face in big sky Mon Montana, you know, like a big snowboard face or something. So Ian Walsh, I thought I would ask you to look critically at some of the stuff he was doing. It was pretty mind blowing. And that was on being towed in as well. Yeah, all the towing stuff from Jaws on that Saturday. What about, I mean, you've been um, singing Kai Lenny's praises for years now, and I've been kind of giving you pushback on it. But yeah, I mean, him doing airs 
and stuff like off the lip. I mean, not quite off the lip, but like headed towards the lip and then getting air, kind of doing an ollie. And I feel like the wind catches and sometimes he actually lands back on the wave face. Sometimes it's just to a kick out, but I mean, he really is next level. It's, it's pretty freaking crazy. Yeah. He is like a video game. You know, it when you really hold the is, video yeah. game controller and you're like, you push the little button to have the guy do a little flip. <laughs> like <laughs> that's kind of what Kyleni looks like when you're watching him. Like, Oh, look, he just did like three little alley-oops and a backflip and he's still riding. He dropped 20 feet. And you're like, yeah, he's next level. It's he got so, some insane barrels too. It's so, yeah, he did. It's so on a different level that it's almost hard to, for your brain to process or to categorize as the same thing that everybody else is doing. It almost reminds me of like when the Harlem Globetrotters show up and they start <laughs> spinning the ball and you're just like, ah, oh, whatever. I'm not even going to look because LeBron is better, you know, but no, LeBron can't do a bunch of what they're doing. And that might actually be uh, sound like an insult. Like I'm diminishing Kyleni's talents and saying that it's a novelty act. I'm not, it's hard for your brain to process what he's doing. You yeah. know, it's like, it's that it's on that much of a different level. Yeah. Yeah. There's no doubt. In some regards, I guess you could use the analogy that it's kind of like Philippe Toledo a few years ago when it was obvious that he was on a, a totally another level and we were judging him because of it. You know, we weren't giving him as much credit as perhaps was due. Philippe Toledo specifically a snapper. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Um, well, so that same exact day, of course, Swell was hitting the North Shore of Oahu. And um, yeah, like you said, I mean, it, it can't be stated how monumental the event was in that all of the most famous surf spots, the names that people know were unsurfable, like pipelines, Mac, like not break, or it's oh, too big to be hitting the reef. It's way breaking outside the reef. Sunset beach, same way. Waimea even is closed out. So the most famous spots whose names people know are nullified. But what happens is these outer reefs light up, these more storied reefs that only break when um, the swell is massive. And we don't, I don't know that we need to name them, but not only were they breaking, they're breaking flawlessly. So we're talking about 30 foot waves that are peeling down a reef for hundreds of yards. It's really, really remarkable. It's different than the other big waves that we know. I mean, Jaws actually kind of does that or does that. YMA doesn't do it, but you're talking about um, Ian Walsh doing carves on waves. That's what made, I thought about with the North Shore was this is a rare opportunity to actually surf these paddle in guns because more often than not at big wave spots, you paddle in, you drop in and you do a bottom turn and you aim for the shoulder. These waves are so long that you're seeing guys having these epiphanies going, oh shoot, I got to actually pull into the tube and then I've got to navigate through the tube and then I come out of the tube or I think Mikey Wright was like trying to do a big swooping cutback. Like who's ever had the opportunity to do cutbacks on guns on 30 foot faces? This is going to kind of open up design ideas, you know, for the, for the shapers who are watching that. And um, yeah remarkable well you know a couple things come to mind one is um at the turn of the you know like when we were around 2000 2001 2002 there was a ton of guys towing and there was sort of a there was a backlash and everyone's like yeah but these guys that are towing can't even paddle into these waves and so what happened is there was um a big push and a big movement 
towards paddling in. And that's sort of where we've been for the last 15 or 20 years. Um, and then you see these guys in, this, in these huge waves on paddling boards in the outer reefs. And after watching Jaws, you're almost like, you know what? These guys probably deep down inside really love being on these towing boards because it just gives them so much more performance. Sure. And in some ways, I'm wondering if we're going to now kind of swing back towards high performance towing surfing because these guys have all proven themselves as paddle heroes. The problem at the beginning of the, the turn of the century was that there were, as I mentioned, there was guys that were towing that weren't, that couldn't even paddle these waves. And those guys have been kind of washed out. And now we've got all the guys we know, like McClure Rothman, all of these guys that we've mentioned. I mean, there's, you know, 40 of them or more that are, we know are excellent paddle surfers. And now I'm thinking, gosh, let's let them cut loose on, on some, some towing boards and see what's happening. Cause like I said, after watching Ian Walsh, I just, I, I don't know. I don't know the guy. I mean, I met him, but I just get the sense that he's probably like, God, that it's pretty fun being on a five, six and 30 foot waves. And what, you know, I don't think I've really reached my limit yet. And maybe paddling in, I've kind of done everything I can do. So anyway, it'll be interesting to see if we, if there's sort of a move and a shift, a cultural movement towards more towing, high performance surfing in these big waves. See, I feel like that conversation has almost worked itself out already where guys do both. And so they'll paddle up until the waves, like they'll paddle at Jaws up until the waves hit a certain height and then they'll swap in their tow board. Cause yeah, Ian's one of those guys who's doing both. Kai's doing both. Um, the real question is on a day like Saturday, do they decide to stay on the North shore and paddle or do they decide to go to Jaws to tow? And obviously we know who made those decisions now. Well, I, what I'm saying is on at, you know, on those big days on the North shore, instead of paddling, they're maybe they're going to be towing it. Even but, those waves that we saw on the yeah. outer waves. Really? Again, I, I'm just kind of riffing. I, I don't know. I'm just, I think I'm just wondering if there's if if deep down some of the guys are like, God, this this feels pretty. Good. I guess internally myself, I would want whenever I surf, I'm looking for the shortest board I can get that'll still allow me to catch plenty of waves, so that I can get my CT on. And I'm just wondering if those guys are like, I'd love to get my CT on. Even when I'm choosing paddling, like these days that I, that are definitely paddle days, I wouldn't mind getting my CT on on a six-two tow board. Yeah, I, I'd be surprised. the The size waves that we're talking about at the outer reef, it would look silly if somebody was on a tow board out there. Like they're not know. fully at that height, you know? Oh, you mean it, it would? It, it's not big enough no. for a tow board? No, well, not that specific day. I mean, not that specific we'll spot. Yeah, we'll see. There might just be too much embedded, you know, seven years of, of paddle culture embedded in, especially on the North Shore, but we'll um, see what happens. Well, a couple of heroic waves that went down. I think his name's Kaiwi Berry. Mm. Do you know Do you know him? Do you know the no. name? No. So I guess he runs a, um, like a diving uh, business, like runs dive boats for tourists or whatever. Dude's a local hero. He paddles out there, outer reefs, and got, I mean, I thought it was actually John John at first because I knew John John was in the lineup, but he paddles into this one, 
kind of drops in, knifes up into the, or kind of knifes in into the barrel section, gets barreled at it. The thing ends up kind of tapering and closing out and Kelly's on the shoulder. And uh, I was like, oh my gosh, that guy just sent it completely. And I thought it was John and then realized, no, it's this local dude whose name I've never heard of, who's certainly not a pro surfer, who just makes a local living and probably, you know, saved up money to buy a gun or two that he rides every winter. And then he paddles out there on the day of days with a who's who of world champion surfers and then just locks into an insane barrel. So shout out to, it's K-A-I-W-I. So Kaiwi, Kaiwi Berry? Maybe, yeah. Sounds right. Um, John John then got a really crazy barrel uh, again with Kelly Slater on the shoulder. And this actually now becomes an iconic image. I think that will kind of go down in history because Kelly's uh, it's the same exact pose that he's doing for Rob Machado coming out of the barrel at pipe in yeah. whatever year that was 98 or whatever. And, but it's John John and it's on a wave that's, three or four times the size and John John's on a board that's, you know, 10 feet long and the changing of the guard conversation is solidified in that photo. You know, like I didn't see Kelly get any waves that day. And and apparently he, he probably did. We know he's in the lineup. He's wearing a vest. He's on a gun, but I, I haven't seen any of them, but I have seen John pulling in. And by the way, Kelly doesn't have to go. Like I wouldn't go and Kelly's entitled to, just go out there and absorb kind of what, you know, these guys are doing. And maybe he did get waves. I'm not saying that he didn't, but in that moment, like as a takeaway from the day, as I've been digesting it over the few days, and then I see that image, it's like, yeah, this is, you know, changing of the guard officially. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, you know, those two waves, it was just incredible day. Right. And part of it was, was the wind direction. I mean, the wind and the swell was so clean. And I think it was groomed. Obviously the wind groomed it a lot. It was just like not a drop of water out of place type of day on a 30 foot day, you know? So it was just incredible. And of course, you know, speaking of sending it and absorbing, there was that situation with the jet ski, with the the wave runner, with the wave runners. Yeah. When, when this massive set came and closed out the, what is to be described as the channel out there. And, um, and sadly, one of the guys, you know, broke his back. He's a, he's a photographer and that's a total bummer. Um, so did you see Mike Latronic's retelling of it on his Instagram? Yeah, I did. Yeah. So it was, um, right after Mike had gotten to the dock, he's still soaking wet and he takes a selfie kind of video into his phone and he just, you can see the awe in his eyes and his, he's just like processing and essentially goes, it was the greatest day of surfing I've seen in my life. And then this set comes that broke, you know, 50 yards over further than we expected, 50 yards out farther than we expected. And we're all on our skis gunning. And it looked like there was maybe six or eight skis in the lineup, four of them head towards the wave, realize the wave's going to break. So they actually hit spin a U-turn and head back towards shore or towards the channel. Two of them 
see an opening where the whitewash hasn't broken yet. But what's of course happening as they commit is that that wave's building into more a more kind of steep ramp that they're ultimately gonna jump off. And they do, full speed, just trying to beat the whitewash from breaking. They end up launching off this quarter pipe, 30, foot quarter, 30 or 40 foot quarter pipe and just going so airborne. Like I've never seen a ski that high. The second one launches even higher than the first, but the first one was driven by Cam Rich, professional surfer Cam Richards, and uh, Ryan Moss is the photographer who was on the back. Right, right. And I'll read to you from Ryan Moss's interview that he did with Magic Seaweed. He said, I just remember feeling weightless and it taking a really long time to come down. I didn't know or realize how fast Cam sent us uh, over the lip of that thing. There was no handle on the ski, so I couldn't stand up and hold on. And I just hoped that my legs would have absorbed some of the impact. So I was just sitting on the back with a death grip on the leather seat. Next thing I know, I hear a loud thud and it felt like the ski buckled in half. Along with that, my back sent a shooting spine tingling from my waist down to my feet. And I just remember thinking, shoot, I'm paralyzed. And I legitimately thought that I was. Cam, meanwhile, got sucked over the falls um, on the neck. So of course they land that ski, eat it, kind of full yard sale. And then Cam's left in the water and he gets sucked over the falls on the next wave. Uh, and I would presume Ryan might have as well. I mean, if you're paralyzed, if you have a broken back and uh, apparently he's not going to, I don't think he's going to remain paralyzed. Like he's going to recover from it. But uh, in that condition out there, you're going to need to get rescued. I mean, you can get sucked over the falls on the next wave or even just ragdolled from the whitewash and yeah. it can exasperate the situation. But I don't know what happened after he ate it, but he certainly, he snapped his spine from that. Well, I, if you watch the video closely after the set, you can see obviously everyone all the skis that made it over the wave turn around and rush in to perform rescues on those that needed it. Yeah. So harrowing situation. And, and Microtronic and the, said, yeah, that's the, the, the big one that you see the big air, which was basically like an X games, big air moment, at, you know, in the winter X games or totally. something. It looks like <laughs> or, a ski jump. Yeah. It's massive. That's, that was the Latronic ski. And um, luckily and, I think those guys, I think Latronic got, thrown off the ski so he didn't land he just landed in the water i think yeah uh and he said that he lost his camera like in the mix he lost his camera but amazingly found it he recovered it it was floating and he was able to recover the camera was able to recover the ski and make it back to the dock so truly a harrowing situation with with by the way the most qualified people out there and this stuff still goes haywire because of course Mother by the Nature, way sir Surfline has all of this footage. So if you go to Surfline, you'll be able to, to see all of these videos. They have a really cool one with um, uh, Brent Bielman and Abe Lerner, their ski, where they, they kind of barely get over it. And um, it's pretty cool. I mean, there's a bunch of different angles, a bunch of different footage, but all the stuff that we're talking about it, you can see it all on one page on Surfline's website. One of the most critical waves that I saw surfed was uh, Big Ben Wilkinson and his drop on that day. Did you see that? No, I'll send it to you. Um, it's so gnarly. Like uh, he kind of paddles in and the wave jacks at the last second. And so while it looked like he had the right line paddling and it was just going to be like an easy drop to bottom turn, 
that Jack at the last second required him to like pop to his feet real quick and get a weightless feel. And the board turned sideways. Like he realized at that moment, because of that kind of critical uh, top of the wave, he's going to have to like knife instead of go straight down because straight down would mean purling. And that little adjustment of turning to the left means the fins kind of come free. So he, he like almost side slips down the most critical part, but then re-engages immediately at the, the part that he needed to and adjust kind of his weight and his line and all that sort of stuff and just rides the thing absolutely flawlessly. And yeah, it was mind blowing. It was mind blowing. He ends up kind of um, not being able to make the bottom turn in the rest of the wave at that point and gets exploded by the whitewash, but it was still like a phenomenal drop. Well, just um, incredible surf. And um, there's, you know, the words don't do it justice. We urge you to go watch it all and check it all out. It's just so phenomenal. And there's a bunch of great stuff on YouTube. It's all over the internet. So um, check it out. Now, um, sadly, on the same day, um, legendary Hawaiian Ben Ipa passed away. And they're sort of calling it this Ben Ipa swell, or at least some are. Um, so um, I have I have a few words on that. I actually wrote some stuff about a story. So I've told just, this. Yeah, go just, ahead. To, just to clarify real quick, Ben passed away on Friday the 15th. And oh, the okay. was thank Saturday you. the 16th. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Now, um, I don't know if you want me to. Um, yeah, I do. To tell the story. I've told it before. It's basically my, my, my most vivid memory of Ben Ipa. And it, um, you know, we honor Ben at this boardroom surfboard show as the, our 2014 icon of foam presented by us blanks. Um, but my, my closest memory of Ben is, is him cursing loudly at me with pure disgust. <laughs> <laughs> and the year was, it was 1984. And I, at the time I was eager, eagerly um, surfing in longboard contests up and down the California coast. Was there was sort of a longboard revival in those early eighties, the Dewey Weber Invitational Manhattan beach and the Delmar lifeguard longboard classic. And, Alan Seymour held an event at San Onofre, <clears throat> the San Onofre Classic. Anyway, Joe Ewing held the annual Rancho Cota Surf Classic at K38 in Mexico that year. And it had an open longboard division in it. And there were 18 entrants, myself included, and there was a crew of Hawaiians, including China, Yumera, Albert Jenks, uh, Reynolds Wright, Les Potts, and Ben Ipa. And the waves that year were absolutely epic. It was super clean, consistent, a, a mix of a hurricane swell and some lingering South Pacific swell. The surf was five to eight feet. It was sunny. It was 85 degrees. There was no wind. It was just all time conditions at K38. In 1984, I was a scrawny, David, self-important 19-year-old, completely delusional. I had like Spicoli-esque visions floating around in my head, like a girl on each arm and Bruce Jenner interviewing me for Wild World of Sports. My first heat at the K38 Rancho Cota event was stacked with five Hawaiians. And as we gathered on the beach below the cliffs, we all noticed that there were only five of us present, not six of us. One of the Hawaiians, Reynolds Wright, was a no-show. And I remember hearing the chatter amongst the Hawaiians, you know, where's Reynolds? What's up with Reynolds? How come Reynolds isn't here? Meanwhile, we're on the beach, the surf is pumping, lines to the horizon. It was as good as I've ever seen K38. Um, the horn blew to start our heat and away we went paddling through the surf. All talk of Reynolds 
left, just the five of us scrambling out into these perfect waves. We made our way outside and there wasn't too much jockeying for position because the solid stack, a solid set had stacked to the horizon when it was coming through. We were all just trying to get our bearings on the lineup. The first wave of the set, an eight foot glassy blue dream wave came to Maui local Albert Jenks and he casually went straight to the nose on this peeling solid consequential eight foot wave draped all five toes over the nose and with a sole arch that was just dripping with pure unadulterated surf style he just absolutely looked royal it was as if he was put on this earth to do that very thing at that very moment it was freddie mercury type showmanship and i'll never forget it again this wasn't david a two-foot day at san onofre my mind was completely blown Two Hawaiians, Les Potts and China Yumura, caught their respective waves and Les Style, China ripped. And that left me, Ben Ipa, and two more waves rolling in. I had hustled to the inside of Ben. And as my wave approached, he's screaming at me, go, go, go. I paddled hard, I dug deep, but alas, I just barely missed the wave as offshore spray blinded me for a moment. I turned around and the last wave of the set was upon us and I still had inside position. Ben paddled for it, I paddled for it. We both had our heads down. Ben picks the wave up first and was gliding in and was looking at me and looking at me and he's waiting as he glides in, his chest is pushed off the deck. He's ready to stand up, but he's waiting to see if I'll catch it. And I barely mustered my way into this wave and I stood up and I gave a little, hey, I got it, hoot. And I rode past Ben. I dared not look at him and I knew what I had done. And he barked a string of loud and profane superlatives at me. The ocean went flat and we've all caught good set waves to start this heat except for Ben Ipa. The rest of the heat I avoided Ben. I didn't surf well, I figured I'd lost the heat. I probably got fifth place. After the heat due to some rules violations, somebody catching too many waves, one Hawaiian interfering with another Hawaiian, blah, blah, blah. There were some judging discrepancy and after surfing really a shitty heat, I somehow moved from fifth position to first position. I had won the heat. And in fact, I got to bypass the repertoire charge heat and go straight to the final. But the Hawaiians were arguing with contest director Joe Ewing about the scoring. Then Hawaiian Reynolds Wright showed up. Apparently he had been taking a nap. So there were five angry Hawaiians and Joe Ewing in a heated discussion about the outcome of this heat. The Hawaiians were pissed. I'm internally giddy sort of on the sidelines of them talking. I'm chiming in occasionally like rules are rules, you know, trying to get my, <laughs> trying to get my word in. The Hawaiians had surrounded Joe Ewing. They were pissed. A few of them pulled back cold Takatis between their choice words. They demanded to resurf the heat. And according to them, the scoring didn't add up. The Hawaiians in their culture, they share waves. Interference rule was wrong. And oh yeah, Reynolds Wright had missed his heat. They argued that the judges and everyone involved here including Joe Ewing, better do the right thing. So feeling the de definite wrath of five Hawaiians in solidarity against two feeble Howleys, Joe and me, Mr. Ewing succumbed to the pressure and announced that we would resurf the heat. I went from giddy to pissed. By the way, I was so naive that I actually started arguing with the Hawaiians. I was saying stuff like, if you miss your heat, you miss your heat, tough luck, I was here. I shouldn't have to suffer. Anyway. That didn't go over so well with the Hawaiians. And I went from ignored 
snotty-nosed California punk to snotty-nosed California punk getting an earful. As we gathered on the rocks below the cliff for the research, immediately these five Hawaiians were hooting it up, jawing back and forth, and it became clear before the horn even blew that I was persona non grata. Ben Ipa and the other Hawaiians blocked, jockeyed, and chirped at me, and they surfed with a stoked abandon. Meanwhile, I went over the falls. Like the John John Florence Zeke Lau encounter, I was psychologically broken. The karma of me missing that first wave in that first heat and turning and catching the next wave, Ben Ipa's wave, well, that caught up to me real quick. Ben Ipa went on to the finals that weekend. I drove home screaming at my girlfriend. Later on, <laughs> later on, I brought this. <laughs> nothing. She was just there. Later on, I brought the story up with Ben and he smiled, but his eyes snickered at me as if making the connection and saying to himself, yeah, I remember you. <laughs> That's my Ben Ipa story. Round of applause. Round of applause. That was really good. Yeah. Um, so and, rest in peace, Mr. Ipa, legendary Hawaiian. And uh, and like you said, um, at the boardroom show, which you run, you guys honored him as the icon of foam in 2014. So you got to interact with and spend a lot of time with him, I would imagine, then, if not in the years in between. Yeah, absolutely. I have some, I mean, he was just a classic. And I've also told you the time when he was coaching Bethany Hamilton Oh yeah, and it was massive, blown out, closing out the channel, twenty five, you know, twenty, fifteen to twenty foot Sunset Beach, and twenty knot onshore winds, and they had to run the event. And I just remember him coaching Bethany Hamilton and just really inspiring her, and her looking to him for guidance, and him just being the absolute coach and and Hawaiian icon that he was, and. It was pretty inspirational. And that's interesting because Matt Warshaw kind of alluded to it in his newsletter this week um, that Ben almost defies era. There's so many surfers that are defined by an era and Ben, you know, got his start surfing and shaping in the late sixties. And so you could associate him with that time of um, inventing the swallowtail, the sting with the wing in it and elevating the surfing the surfing that, you know, Bertelman, Buttons, Mark Liddell was doing was because of the boards they were riding that Ben designed for them that allowed them to really elevate all of progressive surfing as a whole. So you could associate him with that. But his coaching legacy is really just as kind of prolific as his shaping contributions were. And everybody from, you know, Hawaiians, um, Sonny Garcia, Kalani Robb, but also Brad Gerlach and a lot of other traveling pros that would come over down through to Bethany Hamilton, you know? So really decades long legacy that's inextricable from surf culture as a whole, you know? Um, I feel like there's, I don't know, important people whose influence you can track. Ben is beyond that. You can't even track it because his influence is so baked into Hawaiian culture, which of course then means surf culture at large. And there's no way to tease apart where his design influence has kind of stopped because it hasn't, it's just baked in. So um, he passed away on, like you said, the 15th 
and it was due to complications from a, a stroke and Alzheimer's. And um, one thing that I heard him mention in an interview was how he wanted, he, it was important for him to have IPA as the name on the surfboard label because there's so few Hawaiian names in board building. And I had never thought about that before, but that's true. It's true through to today, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's that's... Arakawa, there's Glenn Pang, um, Manami. Yeah, but Ipa's a true Hawaiian name, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, those others are, you know, their backgrounds, their, life, their heritage is from a different land. Yeah, even Lopez, you know? So yeah. Ipa, yeah, I can't think of many. So I thought that was really interesting. And thankfully his two sons, Duke in California and Aquila and the North shore are both running their own surfboard labels using yes. the IPA legacies or using the IPA name. So um, yeah, that's, so it'll live that, on. That's a really important point, you know, that we have a Hawaiian name um, on a surfboard. <laughs> that's pretty crucial. It's crazy that there aren't more. Yeah. Um, so three days later, we have more bad news from the board building community. Scott Anderson, uh, LA, LA County, Scott Anderson. Yeah. Um, I heard it was maybe about a year ago, maybe less than a year ago, got late diagnosis of skin cancer that really kind of ravaged his body. And it was a quick decline. And anybody who's ever dealt with Scott Anderson in any capacity says the exact same thing. I've never heard a negative word spoken about Scott. And this was long before he passed away. Just yeah. people loved the guy. And yeah. he started surf or started shaping at the age of 16 in his mom's garage. He's kind of associated with LA County, worked at Natural Progression with Skip Ingblom, uh, Jeff Ho, Lance Carson, Robbie Dick. The business that he was running in LA was called Aquatech. And it's really funny. It's uh, in Marina Del Rey, right in the middle of this metropolis like it's an industrial building you wouldn't think anything surfy is happening in that neighborhood at all celebrities live there fancy grocery stores all that sort of stuff and then down an alley in an industrial building there is aquatech and it was a glassing facility and uh scott still shaped boards and made boards but was known for glassing um high quality glassing for a who's who of board builders and so Sunday, I believe it was January 18th, Scott lost his battle to skin cancer. So um, rest in peace, Scott, in addition to Ben. It's been a crazy week. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm just super sad. Scott Anderson was such a great guy. Super humble, super hardworking, um, always very helpful and um, definitely a big loss here in Southern California and the, the surfboard manufacturing industry. The one word that I think can um, define that was unique to Scott Anderson at his level of profession was humble and like yeah. no ego. Yeah. And, and <laughs> I hate to throw shade, but there's so much ego in the surfboard building game. And people just feel that they're underappreciated or they're slighted or whatever it is. And even guys that are small that maybe maybe don't even don't warrant having an ego 
have ego. And so to deal with Scott, who has such a storied legacy and have him just be bending over backwards to help and give in any way possible was such a breath of fresh air. You know, he's the guy who could have had an ego if he wanted to, but he wasn't. He just didn't have it. Yeah. It's, it's a sad situation. And the other sad situation is it was skin cancer. And so that's kind of a reminder, a PSA to listeners out there that skin cancer, the, I guess, dying from skin cancer is preventable. Skin cancer is, you can mitigate it, but once you get it, you can diagnose it, you can get it treated, it's totally treatable. And the death sentence is usually related to uh, late diagnoses. So I would encourage everybody, regular check, like skin checks every six months, depending on your age or skin type, certainly every year, obviously wear sunblock, mineral-based sunblocks that don't have any, uh, you know, fewer chemicals, the better. Yeah. But broad spectrum, UVA, UVB, broad spectrum, mineral-based sunblocks will help you uh, kind of avoid an early fate. Yeah. Good point. Well stated. Thank you. PSA. Um, couple things. We are having the giant used surfboard sale this Saturday. Rain is in the forecast, but we're going to push through it. So, perhaps bring an umbrella, but it's going to be spotty on and off. There's a 40% chance of rain. So I'm sure we'll see some moisture, but um, we're going to be there um, having the event. That's at the Delmar Fairgrounds main parking lot. It's free to come by and buy surfboards. If you want to sell your boards, you need to register. Go to boardroomshow.com and you can register to sell boards. It's $10 a board to put a board in, by the way. Oh, easy. Um, And then the... California Gold Surf Auction is going to be putting 40 or so vintage culturally significant surfboards under the gavel. And the auction takes place April 16th. That's a Friday, April 16th. And you can learn more at CaliforniaGoldSurfAuction.com. And David, the Boardroom International Surfboard Show is taking place September 25th and September 26th. beginnings of this fall here in about eight months um and we're looking forward to that we'll be honoring pat rossin and of course that's brought to you by the good people at us blanks can i ask you a couple of questions before we go yes what are your insights with what's happening with the tennis tour in australia and (laughs) how that and how that relates to the wsl's plans to run in april that's funny. I have that in my notes. I, I thought we had to hard out here, but um, we, I got a little bit of battery left. So, well, like the buildup to, to the Australian open, which is coming up was thrown into disarray when 47 tennis players were forced into two weeks of strict hotel quarantine, David, which you and I spoke about last week after coronavirus infections were reported, were reported on two chartered flights, carrying them, to Melbourne. And oh, by the way, it's not just the tennis players, it's all of the back staff, all of the coaches, all of anybody that's, you know, like they do massive contact tracing and everybody's put under some sort of quarantine or confinement. So it just speaks to the seriousness with which the Australian government and the the culture of Australia is taking this thing. And it speaks to why they have it under control. Yeah. And in regards to the WSL, I'm sure that the people there saw this news. 
Um, I sent it over to Nick Carroll, who gave us great insight last week on this. And he said, yeah, it's not just the, the competitors, it's everyone. And that's just the way it's going to be in Australia. So all it's going to take is one positive and uh, everyone's going to be on hold. Yeah. And I, I mean, logic would, re would suggest that the tennis tour has far more resources and influence. And if they can't pull it off, there's no chance the WSL can. The benefit for the WSL is that they're not scheduled until April. So there's a couple of months to kind of see how things shake out. But this certainly sets a precedent. Well, certainly I would, you know, you and I spoke about a contingency plan. So if the WSL is like, okay, we still have, there's like a 40% chance we can pull off Australia. Let's focus on that. But let's also have a contingency plan so that we can deliver some sort of, of engaging competition, say in August, you know, let's, let's set something up for August and September um, that allows us to roll into the triple crown in Hawaii um, starting in October. And um, I'm sure that they probably are, are, are moving forward with both of those ideas. I should hope so. Yeah. Um, the other thing that kind of dovetails with that is there was four events that have not run during this massive swell that would have otherwise. Yeah. So the Eddie yep. didn't run and that's not the WSL's fault. That was kind of fell apart a year or two ago. That was but definitely an Eddie swell. That was an Eddie swell. So the Eddie didn't run, which normally for the last two decades, you and I could look forward to uh, the jaws event. Piahi would have run had the WSL not canceled the next couple of events. Sunset would have kicked off yesterday. And then I would argue even the Mavericks event, um, which is no longer a thing, but that was something that we looked forward to for the last couple of decades. Mavericks certainly had the swell to run an event in. So my question to you with all of this is, do you care? Exactly. I think that's the real question here. Does it even matter? And I, no. and I don't think it does. It doesn't. I don't think it matters. We know and who that's... won Mavericks that day. It was Pete Mel. Yeah. We know who won Jaws. We know who won the undisclosed Outer Reef, you know? Yeah. So there was a bunch of winners. Exactly. And everyone everyone wins. And it was much easier to 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 hold. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All you had to do was show up and paddle out. But um, there was yeah. there there was no vacuum. Uh, there was no void by yeah. the event not running. It was it yeah. was everything was full, everybody's plate was full, everybody's entertainment level was fully saturated the event in hindsight maybe actually distracts from the swell and leaves some like you know un uneaten food on the plate because there's so many waves that go unridden unridden <laughs> i don't know why i'm trying to drive this analogy home but um I, I, there was nothing left wanting throughout those swells. So I'm okay with those events not running officially. We can say with hindsight. Yeah. I mean, I, like, I would love to see the Sunset Beach event, you know, like it'd be fun to be able to be looking forward to that. A couple of reasons. One, the surf's kind of run out here in California. Today's probably the last day and then it's going to go stormy and weird. And so it'd be fun to be able to, to watch that, but it doesn't, it didn't matter. I, 
I hadn't even thought about the Sunset Beach event until yesterday when I was watching the surf and I was going, oh, that's right. This is the window for the sunset. Like, so it wasn't even on our radar. There was so much happening. And that's, that's something that needs to be noted. Totally. Uh, we should, oh, we owe a shout out to NVS fins and of course, Need Essentials. What fins have you been riding? Or I've been getting, I've been riding that twin fin a lot. Um, so I've been riding those, um, those C drive fins and I've been getting a lot of commentary about it. People are asking me what board I'm riding a lot. It's probably because I ride a lot of different boards, but I mean, it's pretty fun to be able to flip that board over and show them these fins. And, and um, as much as they're sort of um, have a unique look to them, the bottom line is, is that they work great and I wouldn't ride them unless they did. I don't care what they look like. I want my board to work good. I got to get back on the C drives. I actually forgot about my C drives. I've been riding this al six foot album Twinsman for the month. And um, so I have the album he has a line of fins with NVS. So they're kind of upright, large twins. Yeah. And um, I haven't taken them out of the board yet. I've ridden the board exclusively with those thus far and it works great and I love them, but you're right. Now that you say C drive, I forgot about those. Oh fins. yeah. Oh yeah. So. And my, and my uh, neat essentials puffy jacket. It's been keeping me warm early in the mornings. It's, it's been the go-to. Did you guys have that crazy wind yesterday? still have it oh really yeah it's still Dude, going on here so i went to go check the waves in the morning and it was just junky and the wind was forecasted for i think 9 a.m or something yeah and, but it was junky and i had to get to work so i didn't even surf i just bailed and midday it just got howling and i started by the evening i saw people posting uh images from our local beaches here the wind turned straight offshore and all that junky surf, the remnants of the swell from the last few days, all that junky surf had turned into perfection. And I fully missed it. Ooh. I should have taken yeah. a day off and waited for yeah. it. But fun. yeah, the wind, um, that jacket cuts the wind for sure. Yeah. It's helpful. It's, a go it's the go-to. I love it. It is. So thanks, Neat Essentials. Thank you, NVS. The promo code for NVS, by the way, is podcast. And you save, I think it's 10% on the Apex fins. Um, so surfnvs.com, promo code podcast. And then with Neat Essentials, they don't require a podcast or a uh, promo code. Um, but drop them a note. If you're given the chance in the comment section, just drop them a note and say that you heard about them here. Nothing but positive feedback for years now about both the wetsuits and the outerwear. And of course, snowboard gear too. If you're spending time in the mountains at all this winter, um, snowboard pants or ski pants, the shell that goes over the puffy jacket is amazing. So, um, neatessentials.com or neatessentialsusa.com if you're in the U S all right, Scott, well, enjoy, uh, this patriotic inauguration day. Yeah, that's right. The inauguration. Man. Do you watch that? Are you going to watch that? I, I don't, I'm not going to watch. I generally don't, but I will today. Yeah. I mean, I don't plan on it. I got, I guess, that's just good. All right. Well, look, until next week, David, adios and aloha. There's a black man with black hair. There's a woman in the kitchen 
he looks at her and says, Hey, darling, I can remember when you could start with flowers. Oh, but ain't that America for you and me? Ain't that America something to see, baby? Ain't that America home on the free? Pays the thrills. 